Hello, and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women Podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we are so excited to welcome Amelia Ahaji to the podcast, who is joining us remotely from Ghana. Hi, Amelia. How are you? Hi, I'm so glad to be with you today. We're so glad that technology allows us to have this conversation today and to learn from you and from your experiences. To introduce Amelia quickly, Amelia Ahaji is the church communication director in the Africa West area, where she is employed full-time by the church to oversee outreach and relationship building with media, government, and interfaith opinion leaders in the area. And she just told us that includes 16 countries in the region, 10 of those countries where the church is active. Amelia has worked for the church in various capacities since 1988, when she was hired as the first female employee of the church in the area. And she has a master's degree in governance and leadership. So Amelia, again, welcome to the podcast. We're so excited to to get to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming to Africa this time. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we're so lucky. Emmy, to begin, you're a convert to the church, and we would love for you to share your conversion story. You've told us that growing up, you were quite religious and that you were actually ordained a preacher of another religion as a young adult. And when Latter-day Saint missionaries started teaching your cousin, you weren't very interested in listening, but you said your heart changed when you learned about the plan of salvation. So can you just share more about your conversion to the gospel? And why was it that learning about the plan of salvation had such a big effect on you? Thank you, Charlene. This is a wonderful opportunity giving me to share my feelings, and my testimony about the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I have always said, I came from a goodly home where Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father is a center of our religion. Somewhere along the line in the history of Ghana, there was a great revolution which rendered many homes devastated. It was that time when the charismatic churches started to operate. Formerly we have the apostolic churches, but now the charismatic came on to really help people find peace. Immediately after high school, my parents were nowhere to be found. My father has to leave the country because he was being chased. So the only source of consolation is to join a charismatic church. And I was ordained a pastor. We were doing so many things. But since it talks about Jesus Christ and God, the eternal father, that was how we were brought up. So we started with the church. And somewhere along the line, I had to travel to Accra for greener pastures because life has not been easy during the revolution. I visited my cousin and it was in the process I found the missionaries from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaching this wonderful cousin of mine. The missionaries ask whether I'll be interested to listen to the gospel. Because I was with my cousin, I just said yes to please him. So <laughs> I will have a place to put my head. So when the missionaries started coming, 
I always try to dodge them. When I see them entering the gate, I will lie down. I'll tell my other family members, tell them I'm not in. <laughs> Until one day, there was no escape. I was caught. So the missionary, these two wonderful young men started teaching the gospel. And as a pastor, I asked myself, what does these two young men have for me? Because I'm already a pastor in another church. We preach the gospel to people. We perform miracles. And what do they have? So I underestimated their spirituality and their capability. So I continued to say yes, just to let them go. Until the time they told me, I'm ready for baptism, I told them, yes, I'm ready to come for baptism. Come the baptism day, I ran away. So pathetic. <laughs> I didn't know. The preparation missionaries do and the paperwork they go through before conducting baptism. I regretted after I became a wife to a mission president. <laughs> <laughs> But notwithstanding, these two great young men did not relent in their efforts. They were very diligent. They came looking for me and then invited me to a missionary fireside where a film was shown. That is a windows of heaven. And it talks about tithing and how the people were faithful, paid their tithes. And I said to myself, so after all, there is power in this country. Let me listen to the missionaries. So they taught me many things, including the plan of salvation. That was my source of conversion. The plan of salvation gave me hope because I know my life on earth is not in vain. And I planned to meet my goal on high. That's to lead a, a perfect life in that context, a righteous and worthy life. To marry, to have children, to seal my marriage in the temple so that we unitedly as a family can return to our Father in heaven. I was never taught this principle and this doctrine in my former church. And I have no shadow of doubt in me that I belong to the Lord's own true church that has been restored once again on earth. I've learned to become patient I've learned to endure to the end. And above all, I know one day I will meet my father in heaven if I'm able to endure to the end. Thank you for sharing that incredible conversion story. As you were talking, I was just wondering, especially given your leadership position in your previous church, how did they react? How did that congregation react? and your family to your conversion to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Most of the times, if you don't do what everybody is doing, you are being sidelined. Most of my colleagues from the other church told me I'm lost because mm -hmm. I've joined a wrong church. And I told them, you don't know what you are talking about. If you know what I am enjoying, you will all leave your church and follow me. <laughs> I was not alone. My father, when he came back, went to several churches and settled that I want to belong to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of wow. which he formerly called Emilius. He <laughs> said, I want to join Emilius Church. <laughs> <laughs> and so my, my father joined, my mother joined, 
two of my siblings joined earlier, and later two of them joined. And you really paved the way, both with the missionaries' persistence and then your persistence to seek after what they were teaching when it had touched your heart. Exactly. So, Amelia, soon after you joined the church, you were hired as one of the very first female employees in all of Africa, first church employees in almost all of Africa. And you were working as a secretary in the mission office in Ghana, which really was the headquarters of the church in the area there at the time. That was kind of all that was there. And you've told us that while you were at work one day, you were listening to the radio and you heard over the radio that the Ghanaian government was restricting or freezing all religious activities of the church in the country. And almost immediately, military personnel arrive at the mission office where you're working to deport missionaries and mission leaders. But you stayed And you played a really important role during this period when church activity was frozen in the country. And it's been said you were really pivotal in communication between the church and the government. Can you briefly share this experience and a little bit about your role and what this experience was like for you? One fateful afternoon, that was in June 1989, we were eating as uh, those handful of employees I was the only girl among the boys. So we were having lunch when we heard from on the news that the activities of two religious bodies have been frozen with immediate effect. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and then the Jehovah Witnesses. We had to quit eating and quickly run to the office. Soon as we entered our office, the military and other uh, security apparatus have taken over the mission home and all other church meeting houses at that time. They've taken over. The mission president was being paraded from one room to another room in a surrender position. And to call the long story short, all the couple missionaries were deported from Accra. So in the process, the military warned everybody to leave the premises so that they can take over. I, I, I just want to tell you that it wasn't an easy situation. Mm-hmm. All the men. That sounds really scary. Yeah, it, it was very, very scary. The men had to leave. But I went to one of the offices to stay. And I always say I take consolation from Esther in the scriptures. When she was asked to do the impossibility, She said, I will go and do, and if I perish, I perish. So I decided to stay. If I die in in the course of the Lord, so be it. So I was hiding in the room when I heard them come, kick the door open, and then they found me. I said a minute prayer in my heart, and immediately my tongue was loosing. They asked me, you are a stubborn woman. Why are you still here? The word that came from my mouth, it was that, I'm here because of you. If we should all leave, who would you talk to? And they said, you are right. So from today onwards, you are the guest prefect in this office. And we (laughs) started to build a relationship. At that time, was under the stewardship of uh, Solihull in Birmingham. That is England. That's where our area presidency were residing. The area presidency finally arrived and we started 
series of conversation with the government to find out why the church was frozen and apparently the government was misinformed. One of our charges was, uh, according to the, a verse in our Bible, which I know was the Book of Mormon, we say no black man will go to heaven. I don't know where it has been written, but that was one of our charges. No black man will go to heaven. And then they didn't hear anything about the church, and suddenly the churches sprang up. Were all over the place. So they were concerned about that. And so we explained and even brought some African Americans, and I don't know how we call them, we say black, to testify how long they have been in the church with their parents, their being second and third generation. If we said no black man will go to heaven, why should they be members of the church that time? So I think the, the government was convinced about so many things. And then the other charges were, what have we done as a church? And lo and behold, we started telling them things that a church has done, including being the first organization to bring mammogram to Ghana. That was sent oh, to wow. a teaching hospital. So various humanitarian work. Yeah, humanitarian work. The government was really mesmerized. So this dialogue went on for 18 months. And finally, the activities came back to normal. Well, it's amazing to me that you say, you know, after this very difficult and frightening time, that that really was the beginning of public affairs in that area. And everything that you were involved with and able to accomplish, that really led the way to where you are today in your church communications and outreach role. So we wanted to know, why is outreach to these opinion leaders, other faiths, and media so vital to the church? And we would love to hear if you have some specific examples or stories of how this communications outreach has changed hearts and changed opinions about the church. In fact, communication department is very, very important in the church's activities and processes because that is the department that deals between the public and the church to create a relationship of trust and also let the public know what the church, the good the church is doing. In fact, since then, we try to establish relationship with key opinion leaders. That is presidents of nations, kings and chiefs, government officials, religious leaders, and other stakeholders who share or share the same core belief as the church. One thing about the church in this part, which I feel is even common worldwide, there is a means out there, even with our name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints still have the belief that we are occult. Okay, and a cult. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we have to refute that myth from the people's mind. So we started having building relationships. One, let me say, humanitarian service have played a vital role in this equation. I remember we had a wheelchair presentation to the government of Ghana 
And during that time, we spoke a little about the church and the media men that were present, there were several of them. Ghana, if there is any publicity. So while they were there, we spoke a lot about the church and even the humanitarian effort turned to a little missionary effort. So we explained to the church and they decided to learn more about the church. And they said, why don't you organize a forum where we can come and then learn more about the church and then carry your message for you. So we organized a media. It's like a dream come true <laughs> for someone, for media to ask for that. Exactly. It was upon their request that media soiree was organized. And on that day, we have 20 media houses present in the church's premises. They toured the area office through the temple to the stake to the missionary training center. And that is where we ended our tour. And there was a question and answer forum. And I tell you, I had opportunity to play Elder Nelson's talk on the actual name of the church. And that is how we should be known in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And to call the long story short, after the media soiree, that was the first time I ever heard the name of the church being mentioned right on the internet. Yes, rightly on the international and national television. And it brought some joy to all. And now we have become friends with a lot of media houses. And even just in March, we have five of them coming around to interview a member of the area presidency, Elder Edward Dube, and uh, one area 70, to know the church's support in fighting COVID-19. In the process, they were amazed about what the church is doing and continuing to do to help humanity. They know that we, the lives of human beings, we have it at heart. And anything that will make them happy and bring them closer to our Father in heaven is what the church is doing. And so one of them said, why is it that people don't know what you are doing and they feel you are awkward? Please, how can I join the church? (laughs) Wow. One also said, immediately I stepped foot in this premises, I felt the presence of God here. Well, and Emmy, this says so much about you because you are behind facilitating all of these activities. So certainly the, the spirit is communicating the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you know, these leaders are communicating the things that the church are doing. But this is your work. This is the work that you do to facilitate these opportunities. Exactly. Uh, in this role, I really pray to the Lord that I have to bring the church out of obscurity in this part of his vineyard. So as I say, I'm saying, this activity is happening in all the 10 countries in West Africa. Now we have built relationship with kings and chiefs, some of them who have been invited to general conference and BYU symposiums and uh, light the world activities. One of the uh, kings in the Accra community have even adopted Light the World as an annual event for his oh, community. Oh, wow. That's yes. neat. And 
he has done it twice and have sent his report to the church on how he used that occasion to bless the lives of the less privileged. Because of the gospel, we had strengthening family conference. And what he learned there uh, uh, at the family history booth really made him teach his family about the church and ask them to come to the church and learn more. And as I'm saying, four of his family members approached the missionaries and three of them have been baptized. Emmy, as you're talking, I just had no idea how huge your job is and you're doing such amazing work and you're seeing so many rewards. Like Carly said, whether people join or don't join the church, which it sounds like a lot of them are joining the church, (laughs) they are changing their opinions and attitudes. attitudes, Mm -hmm. And that's huge for your area. The the church has now come to a certain level. It has developed. It has entered into the hearts of many people. Even other churches ask us how we do our missionary work for them to also inculcate it into their ministry because we have this young men who have devoted their time to serve the Lord in two years without pay. Why wouldn't they also initiate some of this? You know, they, they like our church. They like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Some of them have not joined because they owe allegiance to other churches. But I tell you, even in my home, I have a brother who always testify about the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, your administration is second to none. We need to come and learn from you to be where you are. Everything is done consistently. So I have heard these things and it makes my joy full. Now, when you come to Ghana, east to west, north to south, they have the church spreading like a burning bush in Ghana, in Ivory Coast, in Sierra Leone, in Morovia, Liberia, Senegal, Mali, Guinea, Togo, Benin, Ivory Coast, name them. It's spreading like a burning bush. So, Amelia, as you describe your work and and your role, I'm also thinking about we talked with one of your colleagues who works here at church headquarters and who knows you well and who's worked with you for many years, and he was incredibly complimentary of you. He said that, well, he called you a powerful and a prolific leader in the area with a feminine touch. And I loved that both of those things work together for the effectiveness in your role, that you are both a powerful leader and you are a woman with a feminine touch. And he even said, I think our listeners would love this. He said, Amelia is a fashion icon in Africa. (laughs) (laughs) So I just love that these things can work together. And I would love for you to share what you feel is the value of women in leadership in Ghana and in other countries in Africa, especially in the church And what are those unique traits that women have to offer that are especially needed? Thank you. To answer that question, I want to quote something from Truth About God and Women by Sherry Dew. And it has been our guiding principle. 
Women have a divine errand. God expects women to receive revelation. Women are vital to the success of the Lord's church. And convert women can change the world. This is very true. Don't you think so? Women are so special. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Women are so special. You know, we always say women were requested for after everything was created. The Lord said it's not good for a man to be alone. And he will create for a man a health meet. Women have some wonderful, wonderful divine role. And if we understand that role given to us as women and do likewise, I think there will be a little peace on earth. Many women have shaken this responsibility and it has brought a lot of suffering in this world. Women are born to nurture, to manage, and to bring peace, love, and tranquility in the family, in the community. You know, men look up to us. And uh, let me share a little experience when we were on mission. Yeah, please. We had a, a, an elite area, and when we sent the brother uh, missionaries there, this elite said they don't feel comfortable with men because it can be anything. But when we decided to send the sister missionaries there, all the miracles were wrought out. They were able to reach lawyers, intellectuals, and baptize them into the church. Women have the soft parts of men, and the Lord knows our capability. You know, if there is a misunderstanding and a woman's voice is heard, it softens hearts, and then they tend to listen. Women are so special, and we are supposed to stand up on a platform and promulgate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Minister, that is ministering through service, ministering through love, through charity, that is pure love of Christ. Many a times, women feel they are the least among the creation, but because we are requested for, the Lord will require a lot from us because that is his own request. And so we have to wake up and do the Lord's work. And even in our communities, try to bring peace among the people by sharing the gospel, by doing communal work with our families. Thank you for sharing that really powerful encouragement. And you have done that in so many of your roles. Like you've mentioned, you have six children. So you have been able to be this homemaker and this nurturer and have such an incredible impact in your career. And you and your husband, I mean, you've served in nearly every calling possible in the church. Your husband has served as an area authority twice, as mission president in Nigeria, and serving now again as you work in church communications. So how do you view your role as his partner especially as he served in such demanding roles and, and vice versa, how do husbands and wives just find this balance so that both are fulfilled and both are fully utilizing their voices and talents? Thank you. 
I think ever since we were baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we decided to introduce a culture in our home that will become a gospel-centered home. In the beginning, we, the key was that my husband and I love the Lord and we desire to serve him with all our strength and our mind. So nothing should come in between us and our Lord. So that is the key. We decided to build a relationship of trust. And that trust is we pull our resources together and we use the word our, us, and we. That is the words we use. Ours, us, and we. But it's mine or yours. Mm -hmm. And so many a times, it is true finances that bring about misunderstanding. So now that the finances are together, you know when there is money and you know when there is not. You know when to make certain demands and not and days not to make. And you know when your husband is happy or your wife is sad and vice versa. So we decided to hold ourselves together to do the Lord's work and inculcate the same spirit into our children. And so we started with hard work. All our children were learned. There is no man's job and there is no woman's job. We do everything together so that if one person is away, we don't create a vacuum. So we take decisions together. So at any point in time, we know what is to be done. We don't wait for mommy or daddy or senior brother or junior sister. No, at any point in time. And we taught them not to do eye service. Do it and don't worry about who gets the credit provided the work is done. And when the work is done, there is much happiness at home. (laughs) I love this. This is so beautiful, the culture that you've created in your family. of There's so much support, so much understanding, and a lot of strength comes from that, I think, that allows you and your husband to function so well in your callings and in your jobs. And it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of partnership Right. Yeah. That I just love that you spoke about seeing things and referring to things as ours and we. And that takes a lot of work, but it just seems that you've together created such a beautiful family. What a treasure. That's really yeah. wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing those ideas and the the bits that you've shared about how you as a mother have balanced working, staying in communication with them, helping them see that you value what they think and what their ideas are and that you're thinking of them as, as you're away or as you're traveling, as you do that so much, that's really wonderful. So thank you for sharing all of those pieces. And to sort of wrap things up, you've shared so many great personal sacrifices and sacrifices that you've made together to serve in the church and to work in the church. And over this period, you've seen so much growth in the church in Ghana and throughout the area you served Um, what has that been like for you to watch the church grow and to see the fruit of your efforts and how has it continued to strengthen your testimony? I really know that the standard of truth has really been erected. Despite the odds and ends, 
the church has moved nobly in this Africa West area. Because when I look at myself, starting work in a small office, in a mission home, with a mission president overseeing the whole of Ghana. Just, I would say, just yesterday, I see it as yesterday. And today, the church has penetrated every part of almost all West Africa. This is incredible. Sometimes I look back and I said, is it the same church we started yesterday? (laughs) We were joking or we were playing and nobody knew. You know, it's like, it's just like a baby growing. When they they are born, you you are, you nurturing them is so hard. So small and helpless. Yes. But when you get to the age five, you don't see how they grow and become big. That is the way I'm seeing the church. It's so big now in this part. And this is as a result of dedicated missionaries, leaders with the Lord's hands in it. Because most of the time when it was started, some areas don't even want missionaries to come there. But now they are requesting to send missionaries to their area to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help them become self-reliant. Now, people come to us to do works. For instance, this All African Service Project, an organization called the Green Project Republic, approached the church that we want to partner with you in tree planting. And this uh, Saturday, we planted 1,000 trees in Tamale. So neat. Yeah. The church is really seen as a trusted trusted partner in in nation building. People are asking, oh, when are you going to have this symposium? When are you going to have this activity? We want to participate in it. Originally, it wasn't like that because some of my people, my partners I work, feel even skeptical to step foot in our premises. So now the church has really grown. And I can say from my own point of view, because of how long I have been in church, that we are being accepted now very well than before. There's no doubt about that. We have partners, we have individuals, we have churches, that is other religious bodies approaching us to have uh, activities together. For instance, the Lutheran Church in Accra had a youth program with the church all the time, and they sponsored some of the activities. It was not like before. So in a nutshell, I have a firm conviction that the church will penetrate every land in West Africa, and the work will surely be done. And the Lord will pronounce that the work is done regardless of any age along the line. We have really come thus far. And I pray that we continue in faith. And above all, when I look at my family, can you imagine that I sit in congregation and my daughter is teaching me from Relief Society? Is it not part of the growth? Wonderful. so beautiful. Wonderful. I've seen my grandson passing sacraments. Yeah, that's so, so sweet. So even within my own family, I can see the growth of the church because we are 
the second to third generation. And that is how we can measure some of our successes. When we see Absolutely. our yeah. active in this is incredible. And Amelia, I have loved learning about the growth, especially in West Africa, of the church, especially from your perspective and in your involvement. And it was so beautiful to hear you talk about your family and everything that you and your husband have built. So you've done so much for the church in general, but then that you can see that in your family and the blessing that the gospel has been in your particular life. So, Amelia, we just want to thank you so much for making the time in your very busy schedule with so many demanding responsibilities that we've learned about to speak with us about your experience and your work. We're so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you, too. I'm so glad to be part of you. I hope I did well. You did very well. It was wonderful. You did very well. And thank you so much. You bring so much energy. I hope our listeners can feel that. You have so much energy and so much passion for the gospel. And I just want to take a little bit of that home with me. So hopefully listeners felt that. So to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, if you're enjoying these episodes, we would love to hear from you. And whatever platform that you listen to the podcast, leave us a rating or a review. And also feel free to reach out to us with any feedback or ideas for future episodes. You can email Shaylin and I at podcasts at churchofjesuschrist.org. We would also be so grateful if you would share this episode with a friend or a family member who might appreciate its message. Thanks so much for helping us share the voices and stories of women. Until next time, I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks again for listening. Mm-hmm.